Our reading this afternoon is from Proverbs. This is what Holy Scripture says. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, the heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon. Welcome to King's Church. It's good to be here with you. We're continuing our series in Proverbs. And today we're looking at the topic of our words. Now, words and language is an important topic today in our culture, particularly in our uh, societal dialogue, uh, political conversations, etc. And one area where language is very sensitive is in the way that we speak of one another. Uh, We want to be very careful today, don't we, in how we describe perhaps the challenges that we face as people. For example, you wouldn't say that he's bald. You would say he's follicularly challenged. Uh, You wouldn't exclaim she's fat. You would say she's metabolically overachieving. Now, these are ridiculous examples of politically correct attempts to lessen the hurtful effect of our words. Uh, For example, instead of describing someone as unemployed, you might say that person is economically inactive. Now, we might laugh at these examples uh, because they teeter towards the absurd, but sometimes, uh, you know, we dismiss any attempts at politically correct language arguing that we're spending too much time worrying about offending people And there's certainly some truth to this. However, as Christians, we should be the first to support this idea that our words are powerful. And how we say something matters. In fact, our language and our words is the most pervasive topic in the book of Proverbs. We read several different portions from Proverbs that talks about our words and our language, and we only scratched the surface of what we could have read. Now, last week we looked at the overall focus of of Proverbs, and we looked at the difference between being a wise person and being a foolish person. And Proverbs shows us very clearly that our words reveal which label applies to us whether we're wise or foolish. Proverbs 15.2 puts it this way, that the tongue of the wise commends knowledge and the mouths of fools pour out folly. 
Or you might prefer Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message. By the way, the message, I think, is a great uh, book to, to use for Proverbs. Just brings it out in a fresh way. He puts it this way, knowledge flows like spring water from the wise. Fools are leaky faucets, dripping nonsense. Amen. Uh, Our words not only show whether we are wise or foolish as people, uh, they also, uh, actually, our words hold within them the power to either give life or death. That's what Proverbs 18.21 tells us. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And again, I love Peterson's paraphrase in the message here where he puts it this way, words kill, words give life, they're either poison or fruit you choose. I love how he puts that. Now, does that seem excessive? Do you believe your words are that powerful? I mean, we're taught at a very young age, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Friends, that's not what the book of Proverbs says. I wonder if we took our words more seriously, how it might impact our relationships. If you truly believed that your words have the power to kill or the power to give life, would you consider your words more carefully? The author Gary Chapman in his book, Love as a Way of Life, describes our words as either bullets or seeds. I like that imagery. It causes you to consider your words, the power of your words, when you think about what a bullet can do and what a seed can do. Paul David Tripp puts it this way, your words have direction to them. If your words are moving in the life direction, they will be words of encouragement, hope, love, peace, Unity, instruction, wisdom, and correction. But if your words are moving in a death direction, they will be words of anger, malice, slander, jealousy, gossip, division, contempt, racism, violence, judgment, and condemnation. And so let me ask you, which direction are your words headed? How would someone describe you As a person who speaks words of life or as a person who speaks words of death? This afternoon, I'd like to tackle three questions uh, to help us understand this wisdom Proverbs offers us. Here are the three questions. Why are words so powerful? How do our words kill? And then finally, how do our words give life? Those are our three questions. Why, first, why are our words so powerful? Well, I think we see that. Uh, we see the power of the spoken word in the very beginning, literally. We go to Genesis 1. Uh, in Genesis 1, we read this. You're, you probably are familiar with it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, here at the very beginning, 
we see God spoke and reality came into existence. Through the power of God's spoken word, life came to be. And throughout chapter 1, when you read throughout, God continues to speak. Let there be sky and land, and there was sky and land. Let there be trees and plants and fish and animals. And there were trees and plants and fish and animals. And God completes his creative speaking with these words. Let us make man in our likeness. And human beings came into existence. Words find their ultimate power in God's spoken word. It's through the spoken word that God created all things. Reality exists because of the word of God. And you and I, being made in God's image, we are God-like when we speak. In our ability to speak words just as he spoke. Now the difference is, as image bearers of God, we can't bring reality into being, can we? We don't hold that power, but we can impact the way people perceive of reality. That's where the power of our words come into play. Our words create filters through which people view the world around them. And this is why our words are so powerful. Our words do one of two things. Our words either help us see and understand reality as it truly is, or our words distort and confuse our view of reality. And if you remember last week, we talked about wisdom and how Proverbs describes wisdom as the ability to see reality as it really is. To be wise is to have insight and understanding for how to navigate the complexity of life. To see the world and to see other people as they truly are. That's what wisdom is. And so it's here we see firsthand the power of words... is to be able to speak and assess reality as it truly is and to be able to speak that into being and to help others see that. That's why our words are so powerful. But there's also that flip side of it that we can bring death when we distort that. And so we begin to see how do our words kill How do our words become bullets? How do our words become poison? Well, again, we don't have to go any farther further than uh, the beginning of the creation account in Genesis. There in chapter 3, we see the serpent, the serpent being the devil. And if you remember in our series in Ephesians in chapter 6, we talked about the devil. His name itself is slanderer, speaker of lies, distortion. That's what he does. And that's what he does here in chapter 3 of Genesis. Uh, We read verse 1 and following, did God actually say here the serpent is speaking to Adam and Eve, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree 
that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Here we have distortion of reality. At the heart of the destructive nature of our words is our ability to distort our understanding of God's creation. And here the serpent distorts God's word. He causes them to question his goodness. And he directs them and contradicts God, deceiving them into believing that they won't die. They won't die if they disobey. And that's why the Proverbs warn us against slander and lying and gossip because we're, we're living out in the image of the serpent when we do those things, not the image of our Creator. And all of these are examples of distorting reality. Either our view of ourselves, either our view of other people, either our view of our circumstances... That's how we kill. One summer, I've shared this story before. One summer, um, when I was a kid, I went to day camp. And one of the days, uh, we divided the kids up into different kickball teams. And I I was one of the younger kids there at the camp. And so the captain of our team was this older kid. So when I got picked, I was one of the last kids. But when I got picked, you know, I went over to the team, and this older kid, who's the captain, he asked me, hey, kid, what's your name? And I told him, and he laughed out loud and said, Jason, that is one stupid name. I was crushed, and I cried later that day, not because he called my name stupid, but because his words encouraged me to see myself as stupid. You see, his words created a reality for how I perceived myself. His words were shaping me. And I began to believe that I was stupid. And believe it or not, there's a little sliver a little sliver of that that has stayed with me for 40 years. It's still there. Our words kill when they distort our reality. Our words kill because our words also are not simply words that come from our tongue to another person's ear. Our words actually come from our heart to the other person's heart. That's another way that our words kill. Jesus said in Matthew 12, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What he was trying to say was, our problem with our language and our problem with our words is much deeper and much more serious then we want to admit. We, we tend to think, well, if we just can control our words and just you know, commit to speaking positively, then we'll be fine. But the problem is that our words are just a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. 
In Proverbs 12, 18, it says this, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Think about that image. What happens when you thrust somebody with a sword? Hopefully none of us have done it, so we really don't know. We just, you know, in a movie you see somebody gets stabbed, and you can pull that sword out, but there's still that wound. You stab someone, you pull it out, you say a harsh, a harsh word, you can try to, you know, apologize. It still leaves a wound. It still leaves a mark. It still leaves a scab, a scar. That won't go away. It's because it goes to the heart, our words, from the heart. I read about one couple. A year after being married, they had their first child, and the wife was describing one evening, exhausted after working all day, coming home to cook and deal with the baby. The husband and wife got into an argument, a heated discussion, and the wife told her husband maybe she had made a mistake and wasn't ready to be married and have a family. And when reflecting on this moment, years later with her therapist, the wife said this, I think maybe it was postpartum depression. I'm not sure, but after that night, I forgot about it. And now, 10 years later, my husband can recount every word that I said and has dwelled on this for so long, he's come to hate me. Words can kill. Because they speak from the heart to the heart. They distort reality. They shape us. As the message puts it, rash language cuts and maims. And it can be so frustrating because if you're a person who struggles with your words and your language and you recognize this, you see this about yourself, again, it's so difficult because it's, you're dealing with more than your words. That's what James is getting at in chapter 3 when he puts it this way, of all kinds of animals birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison, and that's because the tongue is simply speaking from the heart. And who can change their own heart? Sonship is a discipleship program um, done uh, that uh, an organization called Surge encourages missionaries and pastors to do. Olivia and I did it many years ago. And one of the assignments in this program is called the tongue assignment. And it's all about controlling your tongue. And so here's the assignment. For one week, do not gossip or spread a bad report. Do not complain. Do not criticize. Do not blame, shift, or make excuses. Do not defend yourself. Do not boast. Do not deceive others. <laughs> For one week. Josiah Bancroft is the director of Surge, and he was holding um, a Sonship weekend, and they were, doing, um, th they were doing this over several weeks, and he gave the assignment. So a week goes by, and the group comes together, and he asks them, okay, who was successful with your tongue assignment, controlling your tongue. And this one young man raises his hand. 
And Josiah is like scratching his head. He's like, you're raising your hand. I've never had anybody raise their hand. This is amazing. How did you do it? The young man looked at him with pride and said, this is the first time I've spoken all week. <laughs> Here's the thing. That's about the only way you can be successful. And, but, but, but the truth is, silence can be even more painful than words, right? Silence can speak louder than words. And that's a tricky thing when it comes to our language. Sometimes you have to control your tongue. Other times, you're called to use it. In his book, Practicing Affirmation, Sam Crabtree addresses the tension we experience when it comes to correcting and affirming other people. Generally, he argues, it's easier to affirm someone you're in a relationship with early on in the relationship. But as time goes by, and as you experience more offenses to one another... It gets harder and harder to affirm regularly and much easier to correct. And Crabtree offers this question, and I want you to consider this in the relationships you're in. Which is easier for you? Is it easier for you to affirm or is it easier for you to correct? Now, every parent in this room <laughs> could probably consider this. One of the things I love to tease Carter, my son, about is whenever he comes home and tells me, Dad, I got a 99 on the test. You know what I say, right? How did you miss that 1%? <laughs> and, of course, I'm teasing, but I probably shouldn't. Because that just reflects probably a greater problem with my own heart. Is that I would even think in those terms. I didn't even think to tease him in that way instead of celebrating the 99%. But proportionality matters when it comes to affirmation because affirming words can be choked out by criticism, correction, indifference, neglect. Some argue that for every correction that you give to someone, it should be covered in at least five affirmations. Now... Uh, wives, your husbands never pick up their dirty socks, okay? You can't quickly rattle off a series of affirmations. Uh, thanks for paying the bills, getting the car washed. I, yeah, I see you shaved today. Now, about your dirty socks. Timing matters. <laughs> you got to give some space. You got to soak your spouse in affirmation. Marinate your spouse in affirmation before bringing the correction. And the correction can be important. Correction can be life-giving. So I'm not saying never correct. But we should consider how can we correct in a life-giving way rather in a way that kills because when we use criticism and correction and hurtful words, 
On a regular basis, it begins, again, to shape a person's self-image, reality, the way they see themselves. And why do we do that? Why are we quick to, to turn to those things like criticism or hurtful words? Well, sometimes it's because we feel powerless. And again, words are power. And so it's a weapon that we can uh, you know, wield against someone when we feel like we have no other recourse. So we strike with our words because it's the only way we feel maybe that we can protect ourselves. And maybe it makes us feel powerful. It makes us feel in control. I went in college to a summer project with Campus Crusade up at Lake Tahoe, and there was a, a guy uh, from Arkansas. He went to the University of Arkansas. His name was Hunter, and he was he was pretty short guy, not very tall, vertically challenged, uh, Quick, quick wit. He, he could just get you in an instant. No one could match him with his words. And Hunter, Hunter said several times during the summer, you know, I used to fight with words because that's all I had. Because I was always the smallest. And so the only recourse I had was to use my words, to use my wit. And so we've got to be careful. Where are we looking for power? Where are we looking for control? Because Proverbs 12, 18, you know, that first part talks about that sword thrust. But notice the second part of it talks about the tongue of the wise brings healing. And that's what we're looking for, isn't it? That's what we want to be. We don't want to be dishing out that hurt, that poison. We want to be People who are healing. That's our desire. So how can our words give life? Well, I think we have to start with Christ. Hopefully you know that about our church. We want to take it back to Jesus. And we look at the living word. And we look at his life-giving words in the Gospels. We notice how Jesus speaks life-giving words into the paralytic's world, for example. That, if you're familiar with that story where the friends bring the paralytic through the, the ceiling. And what does Jesus say to this man? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus speaks a new reality into his life. You see, we are limited. Unlike Christ, we can only affect people's perception of reality. The Lord of all life can actually change reality with his words. So when he speaks, it's different. When he speaks, you can bank on it. And when he speaks, he changes things. We see Jesus speaking life-giving words when he says, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. We could go throughout the Gospels and see time and time again, Jesus speaks a new reality into existence. And of course, he was a new reality when he was died on the cross and was raised from the dead. And that good news changes everything for us. It gives us hope. It gives us hope when we feel helpless, when, when we see that our hearts, how can we change our hearts? We can't. Only Jesus can. And he does. And so that's where we start. We start there. We start by hearing Christ speak new truth to us, new reality when we hear the gospel that we can't do it. 
You can't do it. And as we like to say here, that's, the, that's good news. You're worse than you're willing to admit, but you're more loved than you could ever hope for. Those are wonderful words of truth. And so we want to be people who are life-giving, and we got to ground ourselves in Christ and His word spoken to us, that we are loved, that we are the Father's child, that you are a son, that you are a daughter, that you are forgiven, that you have a new identity. You live out of that truth. And you can begin to be a person who gives life to others. Max Licato uh, shares a story when he uh, did a half triathlon, a half Ironman triathlon. Um, After the 1.2-mile swim and the 56-mile bike ride, Max describes at that point he didn't have a lot of energy left for the 13.1-mile run, and neither did the guy jogging next to him. And he he asked the guy how he's doing while he's running, And he soon regretted posing the question because the guy said, This stinks. This race is the dumbest decision I've ever made. (laughs) And so (laughs) Max said that guy had more complaints than a taxpayer at the IRS. And so he said goodbye to that guy because he knew he had to get away from him. You ever been around people like that? They just pull you down. And he knew if he listened too long, he'd start agreeing with him, and he'd quit. So he, he kept running, and he caught up with a 66-year-old grandmother. <laughs> and uh, her tone was just the opposite. She said, you'll finish this. It's hot, but at least it's not raining. One step at a time. Don't forget to hydrate. Stay in there. You can do it. And he ran next to that grandma until his heart was lifted, his legs you know, weren't aching quite as much, and eventually he had to slow down, and he said, she, she said, no problem, she kept going. <laughs> but it made all the difference. Those words were life-giving because she had hope. She had hope. She saw reality, and she spoke truth. Truth that Max couldn't see. Max couldn't see it. And that's the role you can play in each other's lives. You give life-giving words when you speak that hope when other people are blind to it. Now, think about it with parenting. Again, I know I don't want those who don't have kids to feel left out here because this could could apply to any of your relationships, really. Uh, But for those of you with kids, think about when you're you know, you're disciplining your kids, how you speak to them. Are you disciplining them in a way that gives life or speaks death? I mean, when you discipline your kids, do you say things like this? You always, or you never, or your brother or sister never does this, or what are you, stupid? Or you're hopeless. What are you doing? You're speaking death into their life. You're distorting their reality and their understanding of who they are. But instead, what if you spoke life-giving words into your kid's life? I love you. I struggle with the same thing. You are a blessing to me and our family. I'm so proud of you. 
I'll end with this. I listened to a sermon this week on this on these proverbs, and he was sharing about a, a, a mentor he had, this pastor, when he was in college. This mentor uh, did ministry with college students. And this mentor liked to write notes to encourage people. And this pastor, and this is a recent sermon, this pastor pulls out this letter from February 1st, 1993. He still had it. And he said, I want to, he said this to his church. He said, I want to share this with you because I want you to see the power of your words, the power, life-giving power that you can use to impact other people. He says, I've got this letter from 1993. My mentor wrote to me at a time when I was depressed, at a time when I was going to drop out of school. I didn't want anything to do with God. This is what he wrote to me. He says, Adam, I hope all's well with you. The Lord loves you very much, Adam. I hope you sip on his love in small tastes and enjoy it. You are a great man. I'm hopeful and prayerful for your year. Thank you so much for the incredible encouragement you have been to me in my role on campus. I am so motivated by your enthusiasm, and I pray that you stay enthused for Christ. Yours truly. That shaped Adam's reality. He stayed in school. He went to seminary. He became a pastor. And he points to that letter and the power of those words. To give life. What about you? You can give life just like that. And we want to create that kind of culture here. And so I ask you, encourage you, pray for that. And ask Christ to speak those words into your life even now. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for these powerful words in Proverbs. And we Pray, Lord, that we would learn and grow how, in our ability to speak life into one another's lives, whether it's our kids, our friends, our parents, our neighbors, our co-workers, whoever it might be, Lord Jesus, may we be known as people who affirm and speak truth when necessary, but do it in a way where people know that we're for them, that we love them. Shape us in that. Lord, we know it's got to be a work of your spirit. That you've got to work at the very depths of our souls. And so we pray for that, Jesus. Do that in us and through us. We pray in your name. Amen.